A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What's going on? It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. That's, yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Uh, you can laugh, I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six oh, days. Like I'd like to to say it to your face, not say it to oh, you now. I will go to Anfield and we'll see them all. What you doing down here, you surely man. <laughs> As the FAI Cup final kicked off yesterday in a haze of smoke and delirium from the nerdy 44,000 supporters in attendance, I'm sure we were all thinking the same thing. Gus Poye must have his mind completely blown by this one. If that man was impressed by the atmosphere at the Greece game, just wow. Welcome to Monday Second Captain's Football Podcast. Hey, Ken. Owen, how are you? Congratulations, Murph. Well, thank you, Owen. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. This time two years ago, Mr. Bohemian's Kevin Brano Brannigan could barely bring himself to enter a public house. Such was his devastation at losing that year's final to St. Pat's. And he probably regrets answering the call to go on air with us the following morning in his frazzled mental state. But two years on, he now works on the podcast, so therefore doesn't have a choice. Brano, how are you, buddy? <laughs> uh, good morning, Owen and others. Talk to us, Kev. How are you feeling? Literally never called you Kev. I don't know why. I just I feel nervous just talking today. I, I just I know what kind of a mindset you're going to be in, and I'm just you know I'm faffing around looking for your. It's, I actually feel actually feel fine. Two years ago, I was in a state of total despair. Yeah, I remember to borrow succession. Like I did pre grieve this result, <laughs> and when it happened, it was I kind of totally expected it. Like Bose haven't played any good since sometime in March. Uh, so it's not like, oh, this is one of the worst results. This is one of their worst performances of the season. Oh, I, I can't believe this. It's like, yeah, no, this is typical of this Bose team this season. And and they just went and did it again. So I, I feel fine. I feel fine. So Declan Devine's rousing, his rabble rousing. We're bringing the fucking cup back. That didn't get you going last week? No? I think I was pessimistic in theory, optimistic in practice. And... Mm. And then the you know the, the the pessimism just came back in yesterday. Uh, once once Pats went two and up, it was like yeah, I, there's absolutely no way we're getting back from this. To, to be fair, yesterday, not even about the match or the result or you know how the teams played. I just found it a very weird day all in all. Um, it was just so weird going to see Bows against St. Pats. In a sold-out modern stadium with like forty-five thousand people or however many were there, it just was 
it was kind of when I entered the stadium, I, it was kind of actually dreamlike, you know, it was like, yeah. not as in like, oh, my dream has come true, as in like, this just doesn't all feel right, you know, this all feels very weird. Um, and it was kind of morning of like, oh, we're no longer the outcasts, we're popular now. So you were disgusted by it. You, you felt, you looked around at all of the Irish football family gathered to celebrate Bohemians against St. Patrick's Athletic, and you felt your stomach rise with, um, with disgust. Revulsion. Yeah. Where have you pricks been all season? Nah, not even that. Kind of like, <laughs> it's kind of like, wow, I and others have banged on about this for, you know, for a long time. And then it happened. And it's like, oh. What have I done? What have I done? They're all here, you know? Okay. This is everyone's thing now. That's good. It's all good. It's all good. Um, God, maybe I am not fine. I don't know. You're sounding a bit Unabomber-ish there. Ken, what did you think of the, the day out? You were one of the day trippers. Yeah. Um, it was very disappointing to me. The whole weekend was a massive disappointment. Why? Because, because I had planned to go to the final um, as a normal person. And just go and enjoy myself and, you know, spend time with my friends and maybe have a few drinks and, and hang out and enjoy the, the game just like you, you would. And, you know, as a normal person, if you weren't someone who, when you went to a football match, it was usually because you were working at the match. Um, and in order to do this, I thought, okay, all, all I need to do is pre-can something for, I have to write something for Monday. And all I need to do is just find something that I can just, you know, uh, put in there on Monday and get it done before I go to the game in order that I can then just let my hair down and enjoy myself. But unfortunately, Owen, nothing really presented itself. You know, the Premier League on Saturday was really boring. You know, I was watching Arsenal thinking, you know, when Burnley equalized against Arsenal, I was thinking, you know, Burnley results here could be quite useful for narrative purposes, you know. But uh, I had about 30 seconds to craft my Arteta Keegan narrative and then Arsenal scored like the simplest goal I've ever seen and won the game easily. Then Eddie Howe lost to Bournemouth and I thought, well, is there potential there? I thought, of course not. Like, I mean, come on. Could I go back to Ange maybe? Uh, and I thought, no. I, I thought, I'm just going to have to accept that this FAI Cup Final is the main story this weekend and even though I want to go to it and just enjoy myself and not have to think about work, I am just going to have to do my job. <laughs> I'm just going to have to do my job and and write something about this game. So I enjoyed the game. I mean, it was obviously great, uh, the whole thing. I'll, I know it, I can kind of, I had some of the same feelings with Brown. Like, is this, re is this really happening? <laughs> you know, looking around at this slightly uncanny scene. Um, but immediately you, once it was over. Why were you over, freaked out by it, though, Ken? I mean, I just, like, uh, being there as a fan yesterday, I mean, there was like a frisson of complete lunacy about the thing, which just made it incredibly enjoyable. Thank you, Murph. Brano saying it was Brano saying it was weird. Ken Ken saying that he, he moaning about having to work at the thing. At least you, at least you embrace the occasion, mind you. You would give it the results. It was like Boca yeah. Juniors. Oh, Gallons! Gallons <laughs> was getting stuck in, was he? No, I mean, Gallons wasn't. See, I wasn't. I was maybe that that explains my detachment. No, can I can I just say that the, my voice does? I mean, I was not. Wandering around Inchicore, holding a flare in my hand, 
you know, uh, in the we with, are with Brian with, Kerr. No, I mean, I don't know if that's Brian Kerr that photograph that Brado sent us. I don't know if that's actually him. Or, that's I definitely think, Brian Kerr. Oh, no, I've seen <laughs> Brado's not the only one. I've seen a few. There's footage. There's footage of Greener. There maybe the footage of the photographs. Listen, who knows what people were doing in Ichikura last night? Uh, suffice to say, I was not doing it because. Uh, within about an hour of the game finishing I realised I was developing a severe head cold so that's why I sound rather ropey to it, not out of any gallons-ish behaviour but it was a very like it was hilarious you know like the game gets delayed for three minutes a goal goes in game delayed for another two minutes another goal goes in again delayed I mean it's just it's it's brilliant I mean I, I don't know what else you could possibly be looking for as a fan going to an FAI Cup final than a sold out crowd, uh, but not like not like um, you know Ireland against Fiji in a November international where sure it's a sellout and there's forty nine people forty nine thousand people there, but none of them are actually all that engaged. Like literally everyone I met, everyone I spoke to was unbelievably engaged in the game. Like I don't think it'll be sold out every year, but I do think that uh, you know like I, like I I think there there might have been a variety of reasons why. You know, it's two Dublin clubs, which is a big, big thing, I think. You know, I mean, like, it's a different ask to, say, like, the two beaten semi-finalists were Galway and Cork. You know, it it would be a big ask for 44,000 people to be at Galway-Cork in an FAI Cup final. But I do think that, like, for people who want to go to the big things in Irish sport, be that the, you know, the the Women's Gaelic Football Final, the All-Ireland Football Semi-Finals and Finals, Hurling Semi-Finals Finals, Rugby International Games... It's a thing that you go to, like, that's really, you know, like, competitively priced as well, that is, it's going to be a lot of fun, you know, it's going to be a huge amount of fun, and I, like, I do think that, like, you know, like, we've spoken about the FAI Cup final in the past, even from the point of view of, you know, Rovers have won the league so easily that, you know, people's, uh, like, attention towards the league round has often, like, boiled down to this weekend and this game, as opposed to, you know, extremely dramatic title run-ins or anything. We, there haven't been, like, a ton of those recently. And there's, you know, if you're Rovers, you're looking at this going, you know, we're the best team in Ireland by a distance. And yet, you know, we we haven't experienced, like, anything like what went on uh, yesterday or probably the media coverage or just that kind of entry into the public consciousness that the cup final is, uh, has gotten in the last couple of years, and I think will continue to get now for sure. Yeah, I met a lot of uh, legendary um, Dublin football figures as well. Oh yeah, um, uh, association or Johnny Fallon, uh, of course, former kit manager, and Noel King, bumped into wow. Kinger. Uh, Stephen Cluxon was sitting a couple of seats down from me. Uh, just my- in the pr- in the pr- in the press area. No, I was I was in the press area. I was in the. Is he working for the Evening Herald now? Is he? No, I wasn't. I wasn't in the press area. I was in. I was in with the real fans in the premium section. Even a Malali, I met uh, also there uh, so to supporting Bose. So you know, it was. Uh, it was. It was. I felt like here we are. This, this is our community. Mm. You know, coming together. Did you sidle to, up to Cluck O'Kan and just ask. Yeah, what are you going again next year? I didn't. Own. He loves that kind of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> Stephen Cluxon loves that kind of conversation. I'm pretty sure it was Stephen Cluxon. I, yeah, I asked. I asked my friend who I was with. Hey, can you? Is that Stephen Cluxon? And he and he was like, Yeah, yeah, I think it is. So, I, uh, is he a GA man to the bone? No, 
between us, we uh, we were ninety nine point nine percent sure it was Stephen Cookson. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe this is all a lie. But I think it was. I think it was Stephen Cookson because he he appreciates a good game of ball. I tell you, Cooker would have been proud of uh, a couple of left footed deliveries that we saw yesterday. I can tell you that. Ah, oh, I loved it. There was a, a very distinct. That Jake Mulroney has a very. I, I was, I was big into the free kicks. I actually ended up watching match of the day, whatever it was, one or two. And James Ward-Prowse was doing his thing over in the uh, the Premier League. But Ward-Prowse is, a, is more like the old Beckham style. He, he kind of chops down into the ball and he really launches himself into it and almost kicks downwards into it. Mulraney has a... I don't know if uh, Mr. Miyagi's been teaching him or something, but he's got a bit of a paint-defense technique. It's sort of, he just gently caresses the ball, almost in an upwards fashion. It doesn't seem to put that much power into it at all, and just strokes, this, this lovely up-and-down stroke, and gets this ridiculous pace and spin on the ball. Brano, you must have been, you must bow, you, know, you must tip your cap to set-piece expertise like that before we let you go. Tip my cap to just how awful the bow set-piece defending was, and <laughs> uh, has been all season. But I suppose this, my final, my final take of the year, yeah, I hope. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just like it was 2013 uh, when the former chief executive John Delaney called the League of Ireland the Dif- problem child, and I child. think that was the, the difficult child. And it was the same year that uh, Trapattoni said, uh, "There is no league in Ireland." But fast forward ten years, and the good news stories now in Irish football are the League of Ireland and the women's football team. So, if you're talking about progress, you know, in the space of ten years things have dramatically changed. You wouldn't have said women's football team and the League of Ireland would be, you know, the bright the bright spots on the, the Irish football universe. Yeah. I, I thought I thought you were going to say there that in 2013, Bulls couldn't defend set pieces and we still have the same problem today. But no, you you you, you step back. You gave, me, you gave us the wider view. Brano, very philosophical today. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. You've still got that Evan Ferguson sell-on clause, Brano. Yes. <laughs> then they're all going to be sorry. And if, if I can send out a message to the Bose board, when that Evan Ferguson money comes in, I want it spent on players, on big wages, on big names. No investing in any kind of grassroots stuff. Just let's big money spending and win some stuff. Let the message ring out from this time and place. Thanks, Brano. I want this money blowed. We're going to be chatting to Gavin Cooney today, who was reporting for the 42 on this great celebration of Irish football, which unfortunately went hand in hand with the news that state funding to the FAI has been suspended because of issues around payments made to the FAI CEO. Hmm. Sign up to the World Service on secondcaptains.com for a fiver month plus VAT for more coverage, more football coverage during the week. It's International Football Week, everybody. And if that doesn't sell the World <laughs> Service for you, I don't know what will, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> Report on sport, please. <laughs> Report on sport, please, Ken. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to the game this weekend oh, in the wonderful city of Amsterdam. At least you get a trip to Amsterdam out of it, Ken. Yeah, it could be worse. I was only saying myself not too long ago, I've never been to Amsterdam. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, plan- I'm, I'm planning on hitting it up, though. Can you just try and stop me in 2024 from seeing Amsterdam? I'm surprised you didn't um, earmark the Netherlands-Ireland game. Uh, you know, we'll be playing for European qualification. I'm surprised you didn't. Uh, dump that one down in the early part of the year. Well, listen, you know I'm fond of saving a penny or two, Ken. Yeah. The idea of me heading to Amsterdam now. You wouldn't catch me at that crack now. Yeah, getting, yeah. Getting caught with inflated, bloated airline prices, Ken. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so what did I, what happened yesterday? Yes, uh, as, I, as I left the FAI Cup final, I, um, I, I uh, stuck the old headphones on and put yeah. the uh, Chelsea Man City game on uh, on my phone. Because uh, I need to go home to to write up some some stuff about the cup file, 
but I knew that this yeah. game was on and uh, <laughs> turned, out, turned out to be... It did not disappoint. <laughs> to be quite a game. Uh, for all, like, totally ridiculous um, uh, results. Uh, I think it's going to send Pep Guardiola insane. Uh, the idea of his team leading twice in a game and still not winning, of conceding four goals, um, is going to really... He's, he's not going to enjoy this. Uh, I wonder what the what the long-term uh, consequences of that are going to be, although it's hard to really anticipate what Guardiola is going to do. But definitely conceding four goals is, is something that will have shaken his world a little bit. Um, some of the defending as well. I know. I do feel, though, you, you already see, you've alluded to what sort of ramifications there are going to be. I kind of feel even when something really bad happens to Man City, he uses that then as the, this is the thing that's going to ignite the season. It always feels like yeah. Pep Guardiola is very good, unfortunately, at galvanizing his Unfortunately, team you when, say. When things like this happened. From your point of view, maybe. And I say unfortunately, for, for, for anyone who wants to see a new winner of the, the Premier League. Yeah, yeah, now in, in fairness. I mean, and they, and they are still uh, top and the next game is going to be pretty big. Uh, that's at home to Liverpool. Uh, after the international break, but um, this this was a bit of a shambles, uh, really from yeah. from City, and you know particularly Ruben Diaz, just such a bizarre moment from him, which which literally look. I think Brendan Rodgers was saying VAR is making uh, football into a computer game. Um, this was one of the most computer game like moments I've seen on a on a football pitch when Ruben Ruben Diaz actually just leapt into a random slide tackle exactly as though he had he was playing on someone else's controller that had the slide tackle and block tackle buttons the wrong yeah, way around yeah, yeah, yeah. and he just, yeah. he just i think it was it was uh, gallagher who was having the shot for chelsea he has just this is slide tackle for no reason he's nowhere near the ball and then he's he's in the process of getting up when the ball is spilled to and so he can't challenge nicholas jackson who scores the um, the three-all goal for Chelsea was just absolutely bizarre. Then Diaz, uh, and another misjudged side tackle, gives away the penalty in like the 95th minute or whatever it was to allow Cole Palmer, of all people, Cole Palmer, to equalise. This Palmer. I'm loving Cole Palmer these days, Ken. You, I'm loving him. You, we were talking about him last week on the World Service. Well, we were talking about his... Uh, what Jamie Carragher said about Cole Palmer, he's got a he's got an arrogance, a real football arrogance. I actually think he's probably just got an arrogance. The mm. guy is hilarious. We, we talked about him doing the post-match interview with Jackson, beside Nicholas Jackson, after the Spurs game, and saying, yeah, uh, Nicholas here just has a lot of work to do on the training ground, you know? He won't be getting ahead of himself. Like he, we, we all know he's been a disappointment up until now. And you're like, Jesus, yeah. Cole, calm down, mate. And the this time, a nightmare. I, I, yeah. I actually misunderstood this time after the penalty when he was asked about it. He's like, "Yeah, I'm not going to say I work on them because I don't. I just trust my natural ability." Which is, <laughs> like, uh, even his celebration, <laughs> I thought I got it wrong. I must admit, I'm going to hold my own hands up here. I thought he did a as Raheem Sterling did a real obvious non celebration celebration. Like, oh, I can't. But actually, when you look at it again from behind the goal from that angle, he scores a penalty and he actually has the palms upturned in like a shrug. Oh yeah. So you know, if you're doing a real non celebration celebration, is you, you turn the palms towards the ground and you. You know, calm down. Don't please don't celebrate with me. But I'm pretty sure what he did was the, the sort of shrug of like I'm just too good for this game. You know, look yeah. at me, I'm amazing. I think he actually celebrated it properly. So of course he did. That's yeah. off to the lad. 
Yeah, yeah, no, and, and Sterling, to be fair, did, didn't do a non-celebration celebration either. I mean, he eventually sort of remembered himself. And was like, yeah, oh, halfway I, through he did. He started celebrating and then stopped. Yeah, But, you know, this, this is a dangerous game for City, I suppose. There's just too many players in that Chelsea team with a grudge against them. You know, yeah, you just, yeah, yeah. just had quite a few, <laughs> quite a few players who had a bone to pick with Chelsea. Yeah. And I mean, power play. What's your What's your motivation for showing up at Stamford Bridge today? Don't say revenge. Don't say revenge. <laughs> don't say revenge. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out that's a, that's a pretty powerful thing, Ged. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, Guardiola had talked about Palmer saying, you know, he told me, I don't want to play here. And I said, oh, come on, Mars is leaving. You have a chance. He said, no, I want to leave. I said, okay, leave. It's good for him. Good guy. Wish him all the best. Doesn't wish him all the best. Doesn't think he's a good <laughs> no. guy. Um, does Palmer care? No. Uh, I mean, Palmer, I mean, it, it is, it does take a bit of um, balls, I suppose, to, to take that attitude with Pep. I mean, I suppose what Pep wants is for people to do, to do what Foden has done, you know, be patient. I mean, Foden, I think no player in his age cohort was has been more highly rated, you know, since he was like very young. Um, obviously, at almost any other club, he would have been playing sooner than he was a city. I mean, I don't think Foden regrets being uh, being a part of the city team that's won so much. I mean, of course not. It gives him a great platform to show what he can do. And he is a more regular player now. But he did have to be quite patient for a long time. And even last season, he was kind of sitting on the bench quite a lot and he's been prepared to accept that. I mean, it has, it has been a problem, uh, at city, just, you know, so many of these players are so good. Uh, you end up with a lot of very good players sitting on the bench. You know, it's why like Sterling decided to leave. You see how delighted Sterling, but the, to, for me, the moment of the game that really sticks my mind is Sterling's tackle on Foden at four all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was, it was, the ball had come had, had come back down the Chelsea end, and Foden, I think, is kind of coming across uh, the, the face of Chelsea's box, and Sterling just absolutely chops him, coming in from the side or sort of from from back up the pitch. A horrific tackle. It was honestly, it was not far off. I mean, and this is maybe this is ridiculous comparison, but just in terms of the venom of it, it was like a Keane Haaland type of a moment. You know, he, he didn't, the, the impact wasn't as serious, but in terms of the way he just went absolutely through him and knocked him like a, you know, f flying through the air like a leaf, it was absolutely, there was obviously a lot going on there. Uh, and it seemed to me like he almost got up and did a bit of the, you know, fuck you, <laughs> like shouting down at him before then, you know, towards the end, he was kind of coming over. Because he, he, when he, Sterling jumped up and made this gesture of get up, like as though, Foden going down was the most ridiculous thing that had ever happened in a football pitch when in fact he absolutely skittled him out of the way um, yeah I mean it, it clearly meant a lot to Raheem Sterling who had a great game you know not just uh, his goal not just the the uh, you know his whatever that was with Foden uh, he set up Malagusta with a great move for that, that chance that Malagusta missed um, he nutmegged Jeremy Doku which must have been pleasing for him Uh you know, there was a lot going on um, in the game for certain. But for Chelsea, like, I mean, they are they're starting to roll now. You know, it's been a it's been a really good week um, when you when you add together the two uh, the Tottenham and City games. Pochettino really seemed to be getting into it. Uh, I mean, he was putting on a big show, I thought, particularly at the end, you know, when he stormed onto the pitch uh, and he what looked like fuck? He, what the fuck? No, he was he's why not play? Why not play? Uh, this oh, was because the referee, okay. 
the referee well I'm sure he, he was saying what the fuck before but but the thing that he was shouting as his as eventually his he slowed down just enough to allow his assistants to catch up with him and start holding him back uh, and he was shouting why not play why not play so I assume this he was angry at the referee uh, for blowing up uh, only in I think it was had just gone into the hundredth minute uh, there was supposed to be eight minutes of injury time but then there had been the goal, you know, a penalty, a goal, um, and then the, a free kick, um, which Kyle Walker took ages to take. That was that was the one that re- that resulted from the from the Grealish or not Grealish um, Sterling Foden tackle we've been talking about. So it did seem as though there there probably was a little bit of extra time, even to add on there. And he blew it up just as Chelsea were about to go away and counterattack. This is what Pochettino was annoyed about. But I mean, he was just angry from the outset. Um, when I say angry, I mean engaged, dramatically engaged, you know, becoming a focal point for the crowd, uh, uh, openly disagreeing with the referee's decisions, you know, wagging his, his finger, jumping up and down, uh, toweling himself off at intervals as well because it was raining so heavily. Um, but really, uh, you know, really kind of growing into this uh, role of Chelsea manager. And you do feel as though something is finally beginning to come together, like this billion dollar sort of amorphous blob is beginning to cohere into some kind of a team uh, and develop some sort of a sense of purpose, which, uh, yeah, whether it's come too late to actually get them into the top five, I don't think it has, actually. Um, I don't think it has, because even though their start of the season has been so bad, you can see that some of the teams ahead of them are not able to be consistent. You know, the, the, the distance that they put between themselves and Chelsea early in the season is not going to be maintained, I think. Um, you know, I'm talking here about Tottenham. I mean, Ange Postacoglu's third manager of the month award in a, you know, in a row is going to look pretty funny quite soon. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, it's terrible how obviously this is going to happen now. <laughs> you know, everyone's going well, to go okay. And to give you your, you know, to give you your kudos, you did say last week that you felt maybe the Pyrrhic nature of the defeat, it wasn't even a Pyrrhic victory, the, yeah. the, there was a Pyrrhic defeat going on there last week because in amongst all the backslapping at Tottenham, they did lose a couple of players, the injury and a couple more players to suspension oh, yeah. and that maybe counted against them at the weekend. Well, the whole, the whole defence was just ripped out in, in one like fell swoop. Uh, you know, that no team is going to be able to respond easily to that. And they actually were doing quite well at Wolves to, to be one all in like the 95th minute. But unfortunately, they then lose another goal. I mean, it was an amazing goal to get Wolves back in the game by Sarabia. A really brilliant goal. Um, one all would have still been a good result for Tottenham. Then they let in uh, the second one against Sarabia, uh, playing it in. And. Yeah, and, and, and now it's like it's suddenly been transformed into free fall. And like the manager of the Month Awards is just making it, you know, it's just like a joke, you know, and everyone is, everyone well, is free fall, two defeats. I, I want at least two more defeats before. Yeah, but I, I, I don't feel, I don't feel uh, confident about that. And the same, okay, but the thing is, right, I'm not saying this proves that Ange was always a fraud, you know, and the whole thing was, was bullshit. It's not. What it is, is an injury crisis, right? That's actually what this is. So uh, if you look at the Premier League um, injury situation at the moment, who are the two teams with most injuries? There's Newcastle. actually Newcastle. given that one away. Newcastle United are top of the injury league with 12 injuries at the moment. Ah, you should have given Kieran Trippe that stat when he was arguing with it, the Newcastle fan. How many players have we got injured? This is, see, this is the thing. So again, 
Eddie Howe losing to Bournemouth is obviously a, a, a nice little narrative thing. You know, if you're into that sort of minority stuff, that's a sort of, you know, it's a it's a niche genre, let's say. Eddie Howe, uh, Eddie Howe's history with Bournemouth. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's obviously a big result being Bournemouth. Bournemouth have really been, been struggling to win games this season. Then to beat Newcastle, who have kind of looked at times so powerful. Uh, and obviously being Eddie Howe and... Jason Tindall's old club. There's a lot going on there. But really, it's as Trippier was saying to that fan who was angry with, with Newcastle, How many, don't you think they're giving everything? How many injuries have we got? The injuries that they've got, I mean, Tanali obviously isn't an injury. It's a self-inflicted uh, ban. Jacob Murphy's out till January. Dan Byrne is out till January. Harvey Barnes is out till January. Elliot Anderson out till uh, possibly January. Sven Boltman's got some complex knee problem, which he's been out already out for a few weeks. I mean, this guy is, is probably their top defender. Um, they're hoping he might be back before Christmas. Bruno Gimaraes was suspended for that game. Colin Wilson um, got injured. Uh, Isaac obviously is injured until the end of this month. Almiron got injured. Mankio. Uh, they don't know uh, when he's going to be back. Matt Target also injured. So, you know, lose all these players and you're not actually, suddenly you find yourself not, you don't really have that much left to work with. For Tottenham, the situation is, you know, Perisic is out for the season. Van Aven, that hamstring injury seems bad. January, Madison, January, Sessegnon, January, Manor Solomon, January, you know. Okay, Richarlison. Richarlison's out till mid-December. Romero obviously is suspended for the next couple of uh, matches. Basuma. Um, is now suspended as well. Udogi, um, well, was suspended, is back. So, like, <laughs> I'm sorry, but lose all those players and you are not uh, a team that's going to be, you're not going to look like a team that's running away with the league like they did a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're not going to look like you're going to be able to stay there. And the problem for Postacoglu is because he's like had so much praise and so much success in the first three months, then it will, there's still the backlash to that, which is always going to come anyway, will now be combined most likely with terrible results. And it's just going to be, uh, it's going to be a disaster. But it's important, I think, to remember, if you want to be fair and you're not just laughing and trolling because, you know, you hate Ange Postacoglu or Tottenham or whatever, that this is really the story of what's happening. They are missing a lot of players. Tell you who else is missing a lot of players. Go on. I'm surprised you don't know the answer to this, Kieran. Who? Manchester, Manchester United? Manchester United Football Club. Manchester United Football Club missing uh, a lot so, of well, players. That's where me and you are fundamentally different people, Ken. Because I just look at the next challenge, you know. Who have we got? Have we 11 professional footballers? Let's go then. You know, I'm not right, going to sit here and start complaining. As long as, one of them, as long as one of them came through the youth uh, system. Yeah, exactly. Because that's, that's literally all we've got I'm left now. <laughs> it's all we have left now. It's that that, yeah. that weird stat we're about leading at halftime. Well, what's, the, what's the leading at halftime? Leading at halftime. We haven't lost at Old Trafford since 1985 or something. It's oh, pre-Ferguson. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Um, yeah, and no, that well, and also being the form team in the league. Well, there's that too. I mean, that's so bizarre. That 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 was flashed up after the game the other day. It's like what they're they're the top they're, Man United are the form team in the league. Yeah, I mean, because if you look at it, they they keep losing in the Champions League, and they've lo they lost obviously in the Carabao. So they've had, they've had like loads of defeats, but every week, every weekend they've been winning. They've been plugging away in the league and picking up three points, and so they're uh, <laughs> are they ahead of Newcastle now? Yes. Newcastle are 7th, <laughs> Manchester United are 6th. 
21 I mean, points. I mean, it's great, isn't it? But yeah, it's goal difference minus three. Newcastle's plus 14. But that doesn't matter. It's great. You know, and if they win again um, on the, when they come back from the international break, they'll most likely only be three points behind Liverpool because Liverpool are going to play away at uh, at City, where City have won every single match this season. So obviously, you know, if you if you actually look at the um, at the fixtures for that, for that weekend, I mean, it's still obviously a while away. Uh, you don't know how everyone, you know, who's going to be injured and, and so on and so forth. Um, but City are like the the most, the shortest odds favourites out of any team that's playing in the Premier League that weekend. Wow. You know, and this is against Liverpool, so that's kind of <laughs> that. Most likely, that's a defeat for Liverpool. If Manchester United win again, there's three points behind. You know, we've seen all this Liverpool 2.0, uh, and then Ten Hag. You know, what the hell, this guy? You know, and it could be three points. <laughs> it could be a three point difference after 13 matches. So. Uh, yeah, that's why we all. Yeah, that's why we we all love this game. Uh, Klopp incidentally has already been um, complaining about the kickoff time. I'm not really sure. Well, I do know why he does it, but I'm not sure that he should do it as much as he does. You know, um, there's this strange situation where Liverpool always seem to be in this half twelve kickoff after the internationals, or rather, they seem to be in there a lot more than other teams. Uh, you know, when you look back at the. Um, the figures over the last couple of years, you know, they they seem to be there, but um, so they were supposed to be in the five thirty for this uh, Manchester City Liverpool game that's that's coming up, but they changed this on the recommendation of like um, you know safety advice that having this game at five thirty would be too dangerous because I don't know the fans will get drunk and out of control and there'll be trouble blah blah blah. This is I guess the the logic. So instead, it's going to be on at twelve thirty. Um, Klopp says, how can you put a game like this on Saturday at 12.30pm? The people making these decisions, they cannot feel football. It is just not possible. And it's the moment where the world pay, pays the most to see a football game. Then starts to go on about how all the this 30 international players all coming back. Uh, they all come back on the same plane, by the way. All the South American players, they all fly back together. We put them on the plane from Uruguay, Brazil, Argentina and Colombia. One game, one plane. They all come back. <laughs> I don't know if he means... They all have to join up to some at some airport in South America, and then like you know, Julian Alvarez and Allison and Luis Diaz and everybody you know gets on the same plane from some central location, or whether there's one plane going back from Colombia, one from Argentina, one from I, Europe. I, I don't know. I, exactly. I'd be pretty surprised if. Darwin Nunez gets on a plane in Montevideo and says, now just eight short stops before we get going across the Atlantic. <laughs> Darwin, I hope you don't mind. <laughs> they do that. I mean, I have been on a plane doing that in South America, though, that, that was functioning like a bus. Me and Stan Collymore at yeah. that time. Uh, flying from Manaus to... Uh, flying from Manaus to, to Salvador, I think, via, like, Belém, Fortaleza... You know, it was just stopping at all, at landing, like throughout the night at all these places and people are trying to sleep. So I don't know, maybe, maybe they're doing it. Maybe people uh, people in South America are used to this this concept. I don't know if that's what they're doing. But anyway, Klopp is, the point that I want to make is that Klopp is complaining about it already. I, I, I guess that he's complaining in the hope that he will reduce the future incidents of this situation. You know, if he keeps complaining, then they'll say, oh, we can't put him in there again because he, every time we do, he complains. I'm not sure, number one, if it works, but I think it does uh, create a sort of a negative... Um, I was about to use the word energy. <laughs> it creates negative energy. Is it, is it? It's a bit sort of, you know, okay, yeah, City have to play at half 12 as well. You know what I mean? 
um, do you have some in, do you have you. some international players you know they they have some international players many of them in the same countries in fact they're going to be getting the same plane back apparently so yeah i just don't know um i'm just not sure really it's it's always the the wisest thing to do but anyway that's that's all very far away it's uh, it's international week now it's a it's a big international week mm-hmm. so i suppose that's what we're going to be focusing on after this a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. First of all, I'd like to welcome John Delaney here today. Trying to be critical as well being possible. Building a house, you build the foundations for us, the chimneys are top, the chimney for us. It's international football. As well, to, to John Delaney, you know, um, uh, The pleasure, the entertainment, the organisation, the skills that you take to everybody is fantastic. But you don't have a chimney unless you've got a very strong foundation. The 42's Gavin Cooney just about managed to see through the smoke to report on what, in his own words, is the greatest sensory experience in Irish sport. Hey, Gavin. Owen, what's the crack? I think you were talking specifically about the first, the few minutes before the game as the great sensory experience. It looks pretty incredible. Ah, it's such a great atmosphere, you know, and it, there genuinely is nothing like it in Irish sport. And one of the reasons the cup final is becoming the big annual event that it is, uh, is because it's just it's um, it's just ha- it just has a character of its own, doesn't it? Like the sights and sounds, and even the smell of, of like that kind of acrid smoke smell uh, at the end of your nose is. Uh, I mean, I don't know if it's great every day of the year, but one day of the year, it's it's uh, it's pretty great. And yeah, I, uh, I was just reminded of that great line by uh, by the golf um, golf one of Brandel Chambly talking earlier this year about a sensory blitzkrieg, uh, which is definitely what that for the few few minutes either side of the uh, first whistle at the FAI Cup final is. It's great. Well, you say that's one of the reasons why it's so massive now, Gavin. Have you got any other theories? Are there any, 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 is there anything else at play? Because it, it, the FA Cup final day has become an absolute phenomenon now. It's great, isn't it? I think there's a few reasons behind it. One of it is obviously it builds on the general surge in support for the League of Ireland generally. And this is one of the rare times in which the ground is not so ramshackle that it's turning people away. I mean, the growth in crowds across the league in the last few years is remarkable. Like Bose, uh, John O'Connor, who was once Bose president, uh, keeps the figures and tweets them out. And it's up 126% over the last six seasons, if you include only the seasons which had fans, so the non-COVID yeah. affected seasons, which That's is amazing, fairly isn't remarkable. It? I know you could, you know, you could be churlish and argue you're starting from a small enough base, so any increase is a, is a good increase. But that, like, you know, it, it, those increases weren't happening before the last few years. It was stagnant and it wasn't going well for a long time. So you've got to celebrate that sort of success. For sure. The FAI definitely have, you know, this new regime of the FAI have definitely 
kind of put renewed and, and more emphasis on the League of Ireland. And I think there's more people at Abbottstown just working full time in the league, which makes a difference. But obviously, you know, I saw Stephen Doyle make the point that he was in the crowd among the Bose fans and said, it's not really massively padded out by neutrals. Like most people are here in club colours and you have to give a massive, you know, pat on the back to both clubs involved. And it's for the reasons that we've read that Pats and Bose have built like a proper uh, support base by just reaching out and being part of their communities every day of the week rather than on every second Friday. And like Bose are turning people away from Daily Mount all the time. Uh, Pats, you might say, oh, it's easy to come support during a cup final. But, you know, results at the start of this year were really bad. But crowds really broadly held up. So I think it's a multi-layered thing. And then there may, there might be an element of the FEI Cup final being like a national occasional occasion for football people in Ireland now to kind of share in, in a way that, you know, the GAA has with the All-Ireland final. Yeah. No, I, I know where Stephen Doyle was sitting. He was... Uh... He was behind that goal, obviously in the premium section, uh, but behind the Bose goal. So that really was the like the sort of heart of the Bose crowd. I was sitting a bit more out uh, to the corner to the right in the in the south stand, and uh, my impression was there was actually plenty of neutrals. Uh, you know, in mm-hmm. in in these sort of like like loads of people had got, had gone along just because oh this is a big game. You know what I mean? It did kind of have a bit more of a a sense to me of like, this is something that people are kind of curious about or just want to, it's just a day out. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like this, it's actually, bec- it's, it's actually become that, which is, uh, which as opposed to this kind of, uh, you know, like a, an occasion for like a, a small group of cultists, it's gone mainstream. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I, the, the uh, extent to which it's gone mainstream was shared by, uh, Brano on Twitter when he, he shared that myhome.ie uh, um, bandwagoning <laughs> thing where he looked at, now the FAI Cup final is a sellout, so let's look at five properties for sale in Fibsburg and Inchicore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I saw the Munster Derby Facts account saying, well, if the League of Ireland is breaking into this, then rugby is truly finished in Ireland. Um, so it has gone, you know, I, I suppose it's gone mainstream in a way, but it, it does you know, that cup final just has its own identity. And just when you see the, like some of the photographs with the flares in the background and the smoke, and it's just, you know, it, it is, it is a kind of, um, it gives a kind of a terrace culture and a fan culture that you don't get anywhere else in Ireland. And to be honest, you don't get in England at all. If you're traveling over, it is real kind of more, it is more influenced by like German fan culture and, and things that you would see in central Europe and maybe even Eastern Europe. Um, do you think that what's happening there can be replicated or what happened yesterday, and and obviously in twenty twenty one as well, uh, can be replicated by clubs who aren't Bohemians and St Pat's, or you know Rovers, or one of the sort of big Dublin clubs. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's uh, like Sligo Rovers are, are very active in their community as well, and, and they, in a way, they have to be because they're fan owned and they rely on this incredible fundraising ability every year. And you, Derry City, brought a massive crowd down to. Uh, down to Dublin for last year's cup final and Cork City are, you know, their crowds fluctuate um, according to the team, uh, the fortunes of the team. But, you know, there are people who would say that they have the capability of being the biggest team in the country. So, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's there's challenges, obviously. And, you know, the, the, the danger is that we talk, everything is, the mood music is now so positive about the league and you see the potential of it when it's in the Aviva Stadium. But it's just like, are we at this like that rise of crowds? But are we already at the ceiling? Like, I mean, the fans are being turned are being turned away because the stadiums are so small and some of the facilities are so shy. Some things stay the same, though, Gavin, and that is that 
a lot of Irish football matches over the years have been decided by set pieces and there's nothing wrong with that that's certainly the belief at St. Pat's you've got some great detail on how they've embraced the humble set piece as a means of scoring goals yeah, I mean, it was on set pieces that this changed, you know, um, uh, like this, uh, the FAI Cup final with that kind of size of a crowd and, you know, it, it's it's sense, it's kind of penetration in the national media. It did feel like a new age, but it was settled in old means by the fact that Pats drew themselves level against the run of play uh, with a set piece from wide, a brilliant delivery by Jake Mulroney headed in by Mark Doyle. And then obviously they went in front as well, another sensational delivery by Mulroney. And then while well, it was turned into his own goal by Novak before uh, Joe Redmond can score. Um, and Pat's manager, John Daly, was talking afterwards about uh, about Pat's excellent record and set pieces and how they're the, the best team in the league, he says, and that's a fact. Um, and then <laughs> talked about like the the extent of the detail in which they go into, that they have their coach, Sean O'Connor, uh, was tasked with doing attacking set pieces uh, this year and said they trained routines that he had found uh, from the Korean third division uh, and uh, somewhere in Bolivia. Um, now I'm guessing, sorry, I'm guessing that that is South Korea and not North Korea. I'm not sure. Like Y Scout uh, have footage from uh, from Pyongyang, um, and maybe it was yeah. like slightly high, slight, uh, slight hyperbole, but does go, you know, does go to the, um, to illustrate the point that just like the the level of detail and coaching and investment of time and energy that goes into teams now, you know, I mean, um, you know, pretty much everyone is full time in, in terms of hours. I think nine of the 10 Premier, uh, Premier Division clubs next year will be officially full time. Um, and it massively swung it for, for Pats. I thought, I thought both were the better team for maybe half an hour and then Pats settled. Uh, and I think, you know, over the, over the closing hour, I thought they were comfortably the better team uh, and deserved to win. Yeah, but just on the set pieces specifically, we've gained the most points, we've scored the most, and defensively, we have been the best, as you say, Gavin. I'll give myself a pat on the back, as I have done the defensive ones, said John Daly. I love this. I love this pride yeah. he's taking in set pieces. People can be sniffy about it. You can. There's no shame in scoring goals from set pieces. It also doesn't mean you can't play football when the ball is an open play. But why not actually really concentrate on one thing that you know is definitely going to happen quite a few times during a game of football, and that is a corner kick or a free kick? Yeah, and people are sniffy about, oh, well, you know, you get your goals from set pieces as if it's a kind of a, um, a kind of criticism of them. But like all the best, like generally the Premier League winners are the, are the ones that are best at set pieces. And I mean, Arsenal, like it was a, it's a massive area of focus for Arsenal to close the gap on Manchester City. Brentford have become like a very solid mid-table Premier League team, primarily on being brilliant at set pieces. Go back to the Italy team that won the Euros. We remember hearing about their set piece uh, coach who had thousands of routines. Maybe some of them were plucked from the Korean third division as well. And Daly, there was a sense of Daly kind of wanting a little bit more credit for um, maybe not necessarily a staff, but pass as, as general. Like things have been pretty much under the radar there. He hasn't talked about, you know, kind of... Um, philosophies of style of play and we're committed to playing the right way etc they play very effectively they've had a couple of bumps along the road since he took over in May but generally he's instigated a kind of incredible turnaround and that was the difference in the cup final and it was actually you know Declan Devine was, was obviously you know pretty distraught after the cup final was unsparing in in his analysis of the team. I thought he was more critical uh, than any pundit or uh, mm. journalist journalist I've seen of Bowes, and he really lamented the fact that they didn't they just couldn't defend set pieces, and that, as he admitted, was a recurring has been their Achilles heel, should I say? And you know, I I don't think I don't think the two goals that we saw uh, from 
Pats yesterday were the product of the ingenuity of the Korean third division. I thought they were just two sensational deliveries by Mulrani. And look, Bose would feel maybe they could um, defend them better. But, you know, the quality of the delivery there is just so good. Kevin, you um, had privately expressed a degree of confidence about St. Patrick's Athletic's chance of winning this game before the game. Mm. Um, it was, uh, and and that was that was played out. I mean, in the end, they they won comfortably, and well, you know, I mean, I suppose there were there were chances for Bohemian equalising in the second half, but um, you know, maybe there were some chances they sh- they should have scored. But in the end, three one, it looks good. I'm just wondering why you were so confident. I mean, when you look at the team, the Pats team, um, you know, the thing that really stands out is how young a lot of these players are. I mean, the captain is 23, the starting team is two 21 year olds, a 17 year old. And among the subs, you've got a 16-year-old, an 18-year-old, a 19-year-old, and a 20-year-old. What was it a 17-year-old who's, who's made 60 senior appearances, Ken, which is absolutely bonkers about Sam Curtis. It's crazy. So so um, what was it about this bunch of kids that convinced you they, uh, they were going to do the business in the cup final? Look, maybe it's my own, you know, enlightened insights, etc. Um, also, but I mean, I have to say... Uh, you know, Pats didn't go down the we were written off route, but they were two to one to win in 90 minutes yesterday, which is kind of amazing. Um, yeah, you did think, yeah. well, do, do the bookies think actually this game is a day? Thanks for pointing that out to me, uh, Gavin. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks for mentioning that. I was, yeah, you know, I was like, well, this is, you know, it's a bit of a, they're an under, underdog here, but they look pretty comfortable. Yeah, I don't know what it was. It just felt that, okay, the Pats seemed to finished was very young but they did still have experience in Mark Doyle who, who, who had hit a great vein of form coming up to the cup final Forrester who, who went off pretty um, early through injury but um, was quite influential I thought in kind of steadying the game for Pats in maybe the last 15 minutes or so of the first half uh, and Mulroney you know was capable of moments like we saw with the uh, with the delivery and then you know I think there's obviously youth in that Pats defence but Curtis and Redmond are just fantastic you know and you just felt that when it came down to it, maybe Pats could be more effective in both boxes. And that's kind of how it turned out. Although some of Bo's attack and play in the first half an hour or so was really, really good, where you know Afalabi would drop off and you'd have Clark running off him to, to give the ball uh, give the ball out wide to either Dylan Connolly or, or Danny Grant, who I thought started the game really well, but was slowly um, uh, forced out of it uh, by Curtis. Um, but Pats, in fairness, like Jamie Lennon was man of the match, you couldn't really quibble with his selection because especially as the second half wore on, he kind of just uh, tidied up all, all the uh, balls that went into um, went into that kind of in between the lines for, for where Afal Abbey was trying to drop off. So uh, I, I wouldn't say I was massively confident that the Pats were going to win in 90 minutes. I was expecting the game to go to extra time because that's what usually always happens with these cup finals. Um, but and look, I mean, three one. I do think that that is uh, that glosses the scoreboard a little bit for Pats. I think they were maybe one goal better off than Bose, but two is a little bit harsh on them. What about um, what about Bohemians, Gavin? Because you know, uh, you know, Stephen Doyle mentioned the the huge and passionate crowd that they brought. Uh, there was more fawning press coverage uh, in UK media <laughs> of Bohemians during the week. Daniel's story came over. He made the pilgrimage. Um, to to Fitzroy <laughs> to to write about the miracle of both thirteen years without a trophy though Gavin is it time to sack the board? Oh, <laughs> I mean there's a there's a Turkish billionaire who's out there looking for a club again so maybe uh, maybe they can they can dial him up. Um, no, look, I mean it's it, it is interesting though, isn't it? Like I mean they, they have been a massive success story, right? It's clear it's clear that they're they're kind of the the emblematic club of this 
like transformation in the image of the league one it is it's it's kind of they're they're the the central part of that story much as the other clubs are kind of delight in their misfortune you could see that certainly uh, i saw that the number of people mocking uh declan devine's um you know we're gonna bring the fucking cup back here you know then people were just absolutely in a in a, uh, a total gloat storm over this so obviously there are people who are who are kind of glorying in bohemian's failure but uh, you know, how can such sort of success in one dimension not uh, at, at any point? What, why have they not managed to um, add trophies to the mix? Yeah, they were, they were obviously very close two years ago. I think that that defeat two years ago to Pats might actually hurt the most just because that, that team was better than this both team, I think. And it was a real last last dance for so many of those players with Georgie Kelly heading off and Roth Tierney heading off and, and so forth. And and yesterday they, they have some excellent players in that Bose team, but I thought they missed Keith Buckley in midfield and um, Declan Devine said so after the game. And just defensively, they've been poor and they've been poor for a couple of years now. I mean, uh, they maybe finally this season, the second half of the season, finally managed to, uh, uh, to replace Andy Lyons at right back. But you know, I thought like young Keen Byrne had a difficult game at centre back for them yesterday, uh, and picking Jordan Flores at left back, I didn't think really worked with with Paddy Kirk on the bench, and I thought they, they had more in midfield when Flores moved in there after James McManus, who's a really talented player, uh, was taken off. I thought he had kind of a, a difficult enough day, particularly in the second half. So, um, you know, they're pretty close. Um, sixth place league finish is very disappointing for them, considering. You know, a third of the way through the season, you're wondering, hang on, are Bows actually in the title race here? They, they were 12 points better off this season than they were last season, but obviously to finish in the exact same place and not make it to Europe is massively disappointing and is an underachievement, I think, uh, budget, certainly in terms of, of budget-wise. I think everyone, everyone would accept that. You praised the new regime of the FAI there. I gave them credit where it's due earlier on in the yeah. piece, Gavin, but... Coming it's never back simple now. with the FAI, is it? Oh, it's never simple with the FAI. Can you tell us about this um, this issue that arose late last week about the funding, the government funding being suspended? Yeah, so this honestly is the kind of stuff that wants you kind of to find a quiet room in your house and just scream out loud because on the day of the FAI Cup final and a record crowd and a showpiece occasion and, you know, let's line up the TDs and show them the potential of Irish football. We read on the front page of the Sunday Business Post, state funding suspended over CEO pay. And you're thinking, hang on, here we go again. So uh, the last couple of, like Thursday and Friday were, um, were kind of days of turmoil for the FAI. First of all, they had their EGM held virtually on Thursday evening where they were to pass this rule which would add two people to the board um, and that they would be female directors and therefore they would comply with the government directive to have 40% minimum female representation on the board by the end of the year. Had they failed to do that, the government said they would have their funding from next year. So the FAI's members went and voted to have their own funding. So that is um, you know, a political brouhaha among the FAI that they're going to have to sort by the end of the year. But then more damaging was the story that broke on Friday evening that um, that state funding for the FAI has been withheld, we think around half a million euro of it, uh, because Sport Ireland spotted an issue as regards the pay to the CEO, Jonathan Hill. Um, now, under the term, the FAI um, are under probation, effectively, uh, under the terms of the uh, Memorandum of Understanding signed in 2020 in return for the state bailout of the FAI. One of the rules they had to abide was that the CEO of the FAI can't be paid more um, than a secretary general of uh, a government department, which is what well, was around two hundred and fifteen thousand euro last year. Um, Sport Ireland uh, 
have the power to order the books at the FAI and they spotted a couple of issues which they had thought, hang on, there's an issue here with the CEO pay. Um, and seemingly this is now being addressed, but it's being addressed addressed by Jonathan Hill paying 20 grand back to the FAI. Um, so there are two problems. One of them uh, was the payment of benefit in kind uh, on travel and accommodation expenses. We know that Jonathan Hill is still living in the UK. And another was an issue where he was given money in return uh, for un, um, for days of leave not taken. Now, that's obviously the, the FBI say these, this is a, a technical error in the words of President Jerry McEnany. Uh, and if you're being fair to them, maybe it was just a sloppy mistake. But the problem is perception is almost as important as reality when you're running the FAI and to a country whose tax money has propped them up for years, they there's, there's no impression of any is, innocent errors when it comes to money at the FAI. So this uh, is obviously a damaging story for Jonathan Hill on a personal and professional level, but it's also damaging to the credibility of the FAI because I've been on your show and I've, we've talked about it uh, and other, and in other places and it's been written about, you know, the FAI making the case for more government funding. They need half a, half a billion from them over the next 15 years to build up uh, facilities. Uh, we've talked about the uh, disproportionate funding that goes to horse and, the horse and greyhound industries and the criticism that always comes back to the FAI was, well, get your own house in order before you start throwing stones. To now, the FAI could have said, well, we have our own house in order. Look at all these governance reforms. Look at everything is going well. Look at how we've restructured the FAI. Uh, and the last couple of days went to show that hang, it, just, it just completely undermined all of that. It was a disaster. Yeah, Gavin, it's, 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 it is a disaster, isn't it? I mean, exactly like you say there, they can talk about it being a technical issue, but, you know, with the history that the FAA has, that's it's, it's just not good enough in terms of the perception. And even the, you know, you have this amazing showpiece occasion, which should be a feather in the cap for the FAI. And actually, it should be another um, another stick that they can go to the, the government with and say, look at this, you know, we're a massive deal in terms of the culture of this country. We're able to get all these bums on seats. We're able to create this national sporting and cultural occasion on a otherwise dreary Sunday afternoon, um, you know, heading into winter. And then they just, it, it's just all undone. And you've, you, you have been on our show and you were, were quite, you seem very much behind the FAI's stance on the betting tax and, you know, where they stand compared to the greyhound and horse racing industries. But do you find it harder yourself to make that case that the FAI are right to go after that money when they, their energies might be better spent just securing the money that they've already been promised? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point, Owen. I think the FBI, I still believe the FBI are right to go after that money because they desperately need it. But it's just that their case in going after it is damaged by this stuff. You know, and you, like you've seen people in the horse, in the horse racing uh, media, you know, it's, it's just so easy for them to tweet this stuff out and point these issues out with the FBI. And, you know, it's just, you know, oh, it's, you know, like the FBI and a lot of people at the FBI have worked so hard over the last couple of years to, to kind of leave it leave um leave behind the uh you know the michael nugent line that the fai is a perpetually exploding clown car like all this stuff about you know the fai the dysfunctional body that all other dysfunctional bodies called the galacticos and you're hoping they were just edging away from that but when you see an, a ceo getting himself tied up in knots over money and pay and then the, the football family for want of a better phrase shoot down a um a motion to uh, address gender balance with state funding on the line out of their own kind of agendas and petty politics and so forth. Um, you know, how much progress has really been made here? And you would have to say whatever progress we thought it made, well, we're not as far down the road as we thought. Well, I, I don't know. I'm getting a bit annoyed listening, uh, listening to your answers here, Gavin, because, I mean, while 
I I agree with you about this this Jonathan Hill thing, and it is damaging, and it does look bad, and and you just, you know, it's just one of those kind of face palm. Like, like, why do you, why are you like this? You know what I mean? Why, 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 does, why does something like this always happen? But like, are we kind of also um, maybe here at risk of putting too much importance on the this dumb? But like petty stuff, uh, compared to what is the, the the real story here, which is that that like that the fact is we're in a country where the government is like ladling money out to the greyhound industry, <laughs> you know, and there's a much mm. bigger thing that involves way more people. That is that is obviously far more significant part of the national life of this country, and. This is like an, an ongoing injustice. It's, it's it's totally ridiculous and actually indefensible. And you know, while I'm while I'm absolutely think Jonathan Hill should be criticised for this, which is stupid and makes the FAI look bad. Um, like you know, are, are we kind of? It's, is this a case where we, we sort of can't see the wood for the trees? We're 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 looking too much at this small thing and, and failing to see the big picture injustice here. To an extent, yeah. I mean, I think I would agree with, with what you've said there. Um, I suppose th- the way I'm looking at it is how the people who are effectively going to sign off the money and give it to the FAI, ideally, in an ideal world, would look at it as well. And it's just like the FAI, regrettably, are completely indivisible from the context which went before. And like, you know, they have to be, the, I mean, the last couple of years and continuing on, the FAI have to be like the best student in the class. Like they have to be leading on all these governance reforms. If the, if the government say get 40% on uh, gender, um, sorry, 40% female representation on your board, the FAI should be the first to do that. Like, I mean, that they, they have to be just like, you know, um, the kind of sycophantic nerd in class because that's the situation in which they've left themselves. So I agree with you. I mean, like the idea, I mean, what, the 43,800 at the cup final yesterday. I mean, if we were waiting for that number to accumulate through the turnstiles at Yahoo Greyhound track, I mean, we'd actually be, I mean, the heat death of the universe would come before that. I mean, so that's, and that's just what's so maddening that the FAI have done a lot right for themselves. I mean, they've made the case very strongly, but it's just undermined by this, this stuff, you know, as I said, potentially it's just a bad error, you know, but it's, and it's, uh, but it just doesn't do enough to change the perception of the FEI among the country. And it's ultimately the, the politicians aren't necessarily going to dole out money to football because they're great football fans. It's because they reckon it's what their voters want. And this damages that as well. Um, and look, there are other implications to this uh, Hill thing as well. I mean, there's an issue among FEI staff with this because it's ex- it's expressly in their handbook uh, that they can't get um, uh, cash or money into their salary uh, in lieu of days in lieu, if that's if that makes sense. Well, now the CEO yeah. has gone and done that, which is just such damaging yeah. leadership there. And then one of the other issues that, that Hill has as well is among our old friends in the football family. I mean, one of the reasons that that gender balance vote did not pass it's partly down to a, a group of people who feel disenfranchised by Abbottstown uh, and have an issue with Hill, the CEO, and point to his record. And at point, you say, actually, fair enough. I mean, we still don't have a sponsor for the men te- men's team. And Jonathan Hill was brought in primarily um, as he had no baggage, but also for his commercial expertise. And he hasn't delivered there. So, uh, yeah, just, an, just a very frustrating 
couple of days out of Abbottstown. And again, it may be an innocent error, but I go back to the great Roy Keane line to Gary Neville on the overlap. The perception is reality. And unfortunately, when it comes to funding the FAI and getting the government to open the purse strings, I think that uh, that is relevant there as well. Yeah, there's also sponsors, as you mentioned there. It's not just the government funding, but the point you raise about the staff is really interesting there, Gavin. I remember in, under the previous regime, reading about the various uh, the various issues around the former CEO. I'm not trying to say this case is the same as that, but one one echo is how the staff, I always read those stories about what was going on then, and you would feel a lot of empathy for the rank and file FAI workers who were there had been pay cuts back then there had been jobs lost and so on and yet this other thing was going on at the very top now again this is different now but you still report there that the staff feel there's a certain thing that applies to them and that apparently didn't apply or wasn't applied in the case of the ceo which is pretty it's damaging again given the history Ah, yeah. And I'm sure it's damaging to staff morale, you know, like morale has been t- taken a beating among staff at the F- FBI for a while. And, you know, some staff thought it would improve with especially, you know, Roy Barish, when the now former chairman, you know, there were staff that really felt like, OK, he's actually listening to us. I mean, there was a time when they got everyone in the room and just kind of tell us what's wrong, etc. But this, you know, this is again, we're back creeping um, back into poor morale here. And, and one of the one of the kind of sad things about how the FAI, uh, re- FAI's reputation has been traduced primarily by John Delaney uh, during his time in charge. It has, um, you know, it, it feels like the, the people who are working unbelievably hard for Irish football on pretty poor money, it has to be said, they feel dragged into it. You know, like they're wearing FAI tracksuits around the country and, you know, you, f- you feel like, oh, when you're criticising the FAI, you're, you're criticising them. And, you know, you're not really, but it just, you know, and, ag- and again, it, it just... Like this is so damaging because it just checks the progress of a of an organization that okay it was at a, like a historically low ebb, but the the, the trajectory matters. Like the the, pre, the perception that this is constantly improving and this is getting better and that this is different that all matters. And these two stories, the EGM politicking and this uh, issue around state funding now being withheld uh, because of the issues that have now been addressed uh, with Jonathan Hill's pay. Um, oh, it just it just holds them back, you know. It's just it's so frustrating. Gavin, brilliant stuff. Thanks, Emil. Cheers. I went in to get a little bit of tube for to try and fix a trimmer in a motor factor. Right. It's a very interesting day. Everyone should go to the motor factors on a Friday afternoon when it's sunny. <laughs> so I went to the bloke that normally fix your mower and our streamer and he said, look, go down to the motor factors bloke down the road. Get now with the car. And the bloke stops me and I, I recognise him. I knew he was one of the Root family. They were great boxes at that time. And then another bloke was like, and he had Pat Dunn. He's a counsellor for, you know, something, Solidarity Ireland or something. And he, uh, he's giving me an earful about something I said in the telly. I, I went in to get a little bit of tube. And then I went in to get the ass that fell over the bit of tube, and anyway. And I, I looks around, and there's Jerry Duff. Duffer's dad. <laughs> so it was a very interesting day. Everyone should, everyone should go to the motor factories on a Friday afternoon when it's sunny. <laughs> That's the most Brian Kerr story, by the way, you're, you're ever going to hear. Oh, true. Very true. Brian Kerr's Ulysses. Um, 
One last point just on the popularity of the FAI Cup final and the matches the League of Ireland games themselves that have been going up attendances have been going up as we mentioned across the board for a number of years now traditionally one of the barriers has been the Premier League and that's certainly the perception that many of us are so obsessed with the Premier League we don't go to League of Ireland games we don't engage properly with the League of Ireland but as you pointed out Ken even on a, a, a day with a massive uh, match and a, a real bonkers game between Man City and Chelsea you still get this amazing uh, occasion at Lands End Road as you say in your piece League of Ireland clubs are never going to be able to compete with this but that's fine nobody can the president of Real Madrid Florentino Perez wants a Super League because he knows that even La Liga can no longer compete with the Premier League that's a problem for La Liga because historically it's seen itself as a competitor league it's not really a problem for the League of Ireland though which is offering something else and the Premier League's TV popularity is no more a barrier to its current growth than is the success of any other show on TV so the Premier League is going to continue to dominate, but that's okay. The, the domestic football can find its own its own home within all that. Well, dominate in in what sense? I mean, uh, you know, it, it is like going to be the league that is sucking in the best players from all over the world. I mean, for the foreseeable future, right? I mean, dominate. I, sorry, I mean dominate specifically in terms of Irish football supporters. A, lo- a lot more, Irish, a lot more fans of Irish football watch. Premier League matches then go to League of Ireland games or engage with the League of Ireland but that could be something that's changing I don't know but the point that you seem to be making is it doesn't necessarily need to change that much it's not as though the Premier League is going to go away or anything like it but that doesn't mean that you can't have a vibrant League of Ireland if things are done correctly No I mean I think that they can they can coexist you know I think they definitely can uh can coexist because like I think if you it's not a it's not a question just of saying oh the Premier League is, is fake it's this is this isn't real football you know I, I reject the Premier League I reject its empty promises I reject its you know all that all this stuff that you say it's not really like that I mean if you I kind of feel if you if you are interested in football you kind of can't help watching this <laughs> you know what I mean like sort of like if you are if, if you love watching football the Premier League basically becomes an irresistible spectacle. You know, even like the game yesterday between two of the most monstrous entities, <laughs> you know, and I speak in terms of, uh, you know, may, may, that may sound like loaded language to some people, but, you know, in, in terms of the, the, the problems that people identify with the Premier League, they would be two of them, I would say, you know, in the sense of you've got a, a state-funded soft power project, versus this weird uh, American, what the hell are they even doing, um, you know, billionaire money-making scheme. Yeah. I'm, talking, I'm talking about, you know, it's it's not, but then you've got like the Palmer stuff, the Sterling Foden stuff, the Grealish, Grealish being lectured uh, by Pep Guardiola. If you like football, Come a four-all draw is very hard to feel impassive about. Yeah, unlike these, these guys, like the, the level of, of the stuff they're doing is crazy. Like, you know, just in terms of, just on a sporting level, it's ridiculously good the way they're tearing from one end of the pitch so if you I think if you love football you, it's not like you can't just say oh I'm not interested in this because I don't like how it's funded or what it really stands for like uh, you know this is like the highest level of football the sport you know the actual th- this is like these are the best players so like that's always going to be the case I mean I, I don't say it's always going to be the case yeah I was about to say, you, you, you can be put off by the other stuff and, and, and it is too much for 
a lot of people and not just that but even just uh, you know a lot of the stuff that goes on with the Premier League even predating the the term sports washing I think has put a certain amount of people off but not that many because uh, a, a lot of us still watch it but yeah. you were saying the League of Ireland can coexist but it's, it's not the same thing as going to a match it's just not the actual it's just not the same thing you know what I mean like it's 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 a, it's a different it's a different thing I don't mean to say going to a match is a better experience than watching like Chelsea four all against Man City. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying that, but it's a different thing. It's like a different way to spend your time. It's a, it's a different activity. Like the Premier League is more like Game of Thrones than Game of Thrones. You haven't, there's a, something you haven't heard in a while. I don't know, like Game of Thrones. <laughs> wow. the way I do. <laughs> when was the last time I ever mentioned Game it's of like Thrones? Step, but like step it's like step more... <laughs> It's more like that. It's like than, that. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, in, in terms of, so... Yeah, I think that's, you know, like there was people sitting around me at the game, you know, it's just sort of interesting looking around at them. The Spanish Bose fans uh, who were like importing oh, their yeah. toxic Real Madrid supporting habits to uh, to abuse the referee and, and scream about corruption. Uh, <laughs> at the, but then like the guy in front of me had like two I guess his daughters you know these two little girls who obviously couldn't have had less interest in like they were completely clueless about what was happening in the match they were sort of trying to eat pizza pizza and stuff and he was I remember the penalty he was like now look this is a penalty uh, there's a chance he was a Bose fan there's a chance now for we could score this you know, they, and he was trying to sort of explain what a penalty was. Like these, these were like, I, I guess they were five ah. kind of thing, four or five. Yeah. yeah. But like, you can see what all they're doing is like looking around at the crowd, like this massive crowd, this huge sort of stadium for them and how kind of they were like, they, they didn't pay any attention to the game. And I'd say had an amazing time. That's what live football's all about, Ken. That's what it's, that's what it's all about now. Pretty wholesome stuff today, right? That was wholesome, wasn't it? It was, Ken. Muesli, yeah. Muesli-ish podcast. <laughs> mm. Thanks, Ken. No other sugar. Thank you, Ud. Thank you, Ken. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Murph. Thank you, Kieran. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to have a think about signing up uh, to the World Service on secondcaptains.com. The Second Captains podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's the persuasion of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important.